0: Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you uh, for this passage of scripture. uh, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11 um, have been referred to by some as holy ground within the scriptures. This is a section where we see who Jesus was, that he is indeed God. And uh, to look at his example of what he did, namely becoming man uh, for us. Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us as we navigate this passage. I am just a mere man, and this, uh, the text and these truths are, are more than we can fathom. And so, Lord, we ask that your Spirit uh, would open our hearts, um, illuminate the text, help us uh, to get a glimpse into the work of Jesus. Um, Lord, especially as we take communion today, uh, we ask that you would help uh, the gospel become a reality in our lives. And um, as we reflect upon the, uh, the majesty of the work of the cross, um, that our lives would be changed, that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would help us uh, to follow in our Lord's example. Uh, Lord, we, we come to that prayer request acknowledging the power of our flesh, the, the drive um, just within us, Lord, that we want to look out for ourselves and our own interests. And so, Lord, we, we need uh, massive uh, help in adjusting our attitudes to be like that of Christ. And so we turn to you and we ask that uh, you would make this time uh, meaningful to each one of us, that we would grow closer to you And it's in Christ's good name we pray, Amen. Philippians chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit. Intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. just worship you for the great truths that are found in this passage. Help us now as we navigate this passage of scripture. We ask that it would make sense to us and that our lives would be changed through this time studying your word. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we, we're we working our way through Philippians. It's good sometimes just to get the big picture uh, on the front of your bulletins you'll see uh, one of the, the great themes of uh philippians is finding joy in the circumstances of life that really summarizes uh, philippians as we um, enter into the section we have to remind ourselves what's paul's relationship with these people uh, what's paul's circumstance presently uh, so the time of paul's writing he was he found himself under house arrest um He was under arrest for a total of four years, sort of broken up into two parts. The first two years, he found himself in Israel, in Caesarea, uh, the the sort of the the port town that King Herod had built. Um, He was there for two years until he appealed to Caesar. And at that point, when he appealed to Caesar, he was relocated to Rome. And he spent, we know, two years at Rome. And it was during this two-year window that he wrote Philippians. He, um, He... didn't know uh, how the outcome would, 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 would result from his trial or his standing before Caesar. He, he certainly could be executed. Um, he could be let go. And there were another uh, uh, just a bunch of options that could have had happened to him. He, he just didn't know. Um, we know at the time of writing Philippians, it's 10 years following um, his planting of the church in Philippi, which was a Roman colony uh, there was no Jewish population there. Paul planted the church. He had a very close relationship with them. As he ministered um, to others, the Philippian church was sort of always behind him. They, they funded him. They gave him gifts and support and encouragement. And there's a deep, deep bond. And so while he's under arrest in Rome, they send their new pastor, Epaphroditus, who we'll learn about in a couple of weeks. And so they send Epaphroditus to Paul, with a gift, a, a financial gift, because back then when you were under arrest in this situation, uh, you would be under house arrest, but all of your provisions, your food, your housing, that you would have to fund it. And so they were sending a gift uh, to, to care for Paul while he was under house arrest. And they did that through the sending of their pastor, Epaphroditus. And while he was there, Epaphroditus got gravely ill. Uh, uh, and this was before telephones, this is before Facebook, this is before email. This, there wasn't a way for them to communicate quickly, and Rome from Philippi was a great distance, and so they were getting sort of reports they knew that Paul was under arrest, they feared for his life. then they start getting reports that hey Epaphroditus was he's not doing well when I was there, he, like he may even be dead by this point, but you know you get you get snapshots of information, and so then Paul sends this letter to the church in Philippi, basically saying, hey, thank you for your support. Um, be of good courage to know that God is faithful, God is sovereign, and regardless of what's happening to me, everything's going to be fine. And in and and Epaphroditus, he almost died. And, and we see that Paul sends this letter with Epaphroditus back to Paul uh, to hand deliver it to them. And so we pick up here in verse 1, which these are verses we we, we covered last week, but I, I just want to sort of re-enter into the text to, to get our minds sort of in sync with the passage where we are. And so we read, therefore, uh, because of everything he said up to this point, he's reminded them, yes, I'm under arrest. Yes, I don't know the outcome. But regardless of my circumstances... Be encouraged because the gospel's going forth. He says, hey, I'm, I'm under arrest and I have the whole praetorian guard at my disposal. There's a guy handcuffed to me 24-7 and I'm able to talk to him and I'm able to share the gospel with him. Had I not been handcuffed to this guy, there's no way the gospel would be penetrating into these places. So regardless of my circumstance, I rejoice that it's going forward because uh, it's not about my life. It's about what God's doing in these lives. So, so this is a great thing. He then says, "Hey, I don't know the outcome." But back in Philippians: 121, uh, one of the most well-known verses, he says to me, uh, "To live is Christ to die is gain." He says, "You know what? Even if I die, it's okay, because that's better than this world. But if I live, if I'm going to be released, I'm going to live for Christ, I'm going to do everything for Christ. And I sense that I'm going to get out of here through your prayers. I, I sense that I'm going to get out, and when I get out... I'm going to minister to you and I'm going to care for you because God's still doing a work and you have uh, growth. Uh, you know, there's, there's room for growth in your life and God is going to use me to help you in this area. And so this whole section we find ourselves in, it's the beginning of the teaching where Paul is trying to encourage these believers in Philippi uh, to walk with him and to move forward in their relationship. So therefore, uh, there's four ifs. Now, these are first-class conditions in the Greek, and they are, um, basically, they're not ifs, like it could go either way. It's ifs, and they know what he's about to say is true. So sometimes this word if is translated since. Um, You could read this since. Um, He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, Uh, or encouragement of love, and there is. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is. If there is any affection and compassion, and there is. He gives the one command, the imperative, at the beginning of verse 2. He says, make my joy complete. What Paul wants from them, uh, really picking up from this section, verses 27 through 30, at the end of the last chapter, he says, make my joy complete by doing these things. By being of the same mind. Unity, not uniformity, that they would all be focused on one purpose, moving the gospel forward as a church. Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It's a lofty goal. How do we do this? How, like, how, how do we as individuals that are part of a collective body... We as Americans tend to think about individualness, like it's all about gunner. I'm kind of like the world revolves around me from my perspective. That's, that you could quote me really poorly on that. As humans, we look at the world, we think that everything kind of revolves around us, but the reality is that the world doesn't revolve around us. And if you're in Christ, you have been planted by the Spirit of God according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that by the Spirit of God, you've been placed into the body of Christ and you're a part of something that's bigger than you. And so Paul is saying that as you contribute to the body of Christ, you need to work uh, in a certain way to maintain this unity, to develop this love, uh, to contribute to the purpose of the church in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so he's going to give some very practical advice I think this is one of the passages that's easy to understand. It's harder uh, to apply. Uh, in verses 3 and 4, there's going to be a series of contrasts. Uh, don't do this, do this. So the first thing we see in verse 3 is, do nothing from selfish, selfishness or empty conceit. So anything that you do, it should not be driven by your own self-interest. But whatever you do, do it with Humility. Humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. So it's about kind of placing others first, not putting yourself at the center of attention. Um, All of this is driven from the truths found in verse one. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is encouragement in love or consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, since these things are true, Then how you live your life, it should be done with humility of mind. It's all about our attitudes. This this whole passage is about having a major attitude adjustment. (laughs) There's a quote that says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. And And I think that the aim of this is there's a warning against pride. Because when we live pridefully, placing ourselves first, thinking that we're more important than others, it just leads to really bad places. And so Paul's trying to guard the individuals that make up the composite of the body of Christ to individually guard themselves from pride and to live their lives with meekness, humility, all the things that we see in the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and then my mind draws a blank for the rest, but I got pretty far. I think, I think I've won further than the last time I said it. Um, and so in verse four, there's, it continues. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. This is hard. Because we like to look, I mean, or maybe it's just me. I mean, I like looking out for my personal interests. It really quiet, maybe. Am I really the only one that really? <laughs> like, we, 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 like self-preservation is kind of something that God has given us. Uh, but he says, don't merely look out for your own self. Like it's not just about you. But, but, but also look out for the interests of others. I, I hear the words of Jesus that over and over again, do unto others, do unto others, do unto others. This is following Jesus' example. Who we're going to see the verse, I think, of Mark 10:45, that Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Over and over and over, we see the disciples through the earthly ministry ask, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he would do things like grab a little kid. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom? Be like this little kid. Be a servant. Gordon MacDonald says this, the acid test of servanthood. You can tell whether you are becoming a servant by how you react when people treat you like one. I thought that was really good. <laughs> it's like, oh, I want to be a servant. So he says, hey, can you go take out the trash? <laughs> uh, super good. Um, but, but we're to work for the joy of others. And like, how do we do this? The, the one thing I've noticed in our town recently, like if you talk to, well, this is like when, when I talk to most people here, to really gauge the, uh, the control of the spirit in one's life or maybe to expose the strongholds of the flesh is to talk about people about the, the whole construction at the bottom of the grade. Like, how well do you handle the merging situation or the lack thereof, you know? Like, it, it, that really sort of, uh, it exposes weaknesses in my own. Uh, I've been convicted to say, Come on through, don't worry. Yeah, you're driving on the sidewalk? No big deal. I'm sure it's a medical emergency. Go <laughs> go, go, for it, you know? <laughs> it's hard. Put the interest of others first. And then we come to the key verse. Like really, the, the key verse of this whole section is in verse 5, and I think it's so overlooked. Um, so if you write in your Bibles, like highlight it, star it, circle it. This is the key. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, I said the attitude adjustment, this whole passage about adjusting your attitude to be like that of Christ. This, I mentioned that these verses that are to follow, um, verse 6 through 11, have been referred to by scholars as like within the text of the New Testament that there are certain areas that they refer to as like the holy ground. Like, like there's theological truths that are found there that are overwhelming, and this is a huge, uh, theologically speaking, what we call the Christological passage, like the teaching of who Jesus is. It it is powerful. We can get lost in the weeds here, and I'm going to try to avoid getting lost in the weeds. There are guys that have their PhDs for spending their life's work talking about this passage and the implications of it, and we're not going to do that. It's easy when we do that to sort of, while the holy ground of this, it's easy to miss the point of Paul's writing. Uh, I often have, in the course of the ministry, I I've probably had, I don't know, and I hope nobody's in this room because I'm not trying to condemn anybody for this, but I get the call, hey Gunner, or Pastor Gunner. Normally the call comes in, hey Pastor Gunner can you tell me where that one passage is? I'm like, well, I'm not by my Bible. I'm not by Google. And I'm, you know, I, I, I like, let's, let's just see if I can get it. Because I hate it when I get the, I'm the friend that people want to phone and I don't know, like, I'm like, well, I'm watering the plants right now. Like, so like, we'll see. <clears throat> and if it's like, there's this guy in the Old Testament, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to go to Google. Like if it's some obscure character in the Old Testament, like I'm not gonna know it. I get the call. I'm witnessing to my unsaved friend. And where's that passage where, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow? I'm like, oh, that's Philippians 2. But, you know, like, it, it wasn't really given as this, like, evangelistic tool as a sword to start slaying all your unsaved friends. To say, you're going to fry, buddy, unless you bow your knee and confess him as Lord. Now, I'm not saying it's not true. Because it makes it very clear that, that at the name of Jesus, everybody, whether you're in heaven, you're on earth, or you're under the ground, every knee will bow and confess that he's Lord. But that's not the purpose of this passage. And if we start going down that road where I'm going to guard from, it is the whole purpose of this passage is that as we look at the imperatives here of walking in humility and uh, counting others as more important than yourself, Paul is giving the theological underpinnings that, that motivate us as we live our lives in this way. And it all comes down to verse five. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul's asking us to live with humility of mind, to not look out for our own interests, to look out for the interests of others. To to, to humble yourself and to be a servant as Jesus was a servant. Okay, Paul, like, well, what what are you talking about? What attitude do we see in Jesus? Verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's one point here, or maybe there's two. The the, the main point that he's making is that Jesus is God, period. He's not just some man that was a good teacher. When we talk about the person of Jesus, he is God. And and in this whole passage, you should see uh, some have suggested a U, others have suggested a V. So whatever you prefer, starts in heaven, comes to earth, goes back to heaven. John one one, What does that say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And if you follow John 1 all the way out, you'll see that the Word is Jesus. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. So, so, The agent of creation is Jesus. That when God spoke things into existence, Jesus was speaking things into existence. Jesus didn't come into existence on Christmas Day that we celebrate. Jesus always existed in eternity past. When he was born, that was the incarnation. That was his coming as man in flesh, in humility. For by him, back to Colossians, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You don't get a higher picture of who Jesus is. So when Paul writes here, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, it's like we're talking about the creator of the universe. And where he's going, if there was ever anybody that had the right to make a big deal about himself, it was Jesus. Like, it was Jesus. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. And so this is the great uh, theological. Guys have earned their PhDs on this one word in the Greek, the kenosis. So we see this God in heaven, or we see God in heaven, Jesus, taking the form of a man, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearances of man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And when we go back to verse 5, this is the example. Um, Jesus is God. He became man. And not just man, but a slave, a, a bond slave. He chose to be a servant. And not just being a man, but he went, to, he went to death. And not like all death is bad, but going to the cross was the most shameful way of any person. You, I mean, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so I, I'm very familiar with seeing Jesus on the cross, like in the crucifix. And, and even in that image, it's like you have a guy that has a couple bruises on him, but you can pretty much make him out. There's always a loincloth on him, which wouldn't have been the case. He would have been stripped naked, beaten, unrecognizable. I mean, this is a horrifying. And this is the creator. This is, this is the creator that spoke the universe into creation. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the preparation of, of a dignitary. Um, you know, with Israel, I've been making it like all the plan. like it's like the, the, the busy time right now. The last time we were in Israel, it was in March of, of 2016. And we got there, sort of our, our trip coordinated with the arrival of, of the vice president. And, and uh, when Joe Biden was in town, and it created a hassle because they would have like, there'd be streets blocked off for blocks on end. Like, the, the amount of preparation and pomp and circumstance for, for any dignitary. Um, I remember as a SEAL, we were doing trading at Port Wainimi, and we were in this big warehouse with all these crates and boxes, and we're shooting everything up with paintballs, like our paintballs. And at the end of the day, we're like, hey, what is all this stuff in here? They're like, oh, we're preparing for Reagan's funeral. Like, oh, Reagan died? No, 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 he hasn't died yet. We're just ready for his death. And when he dies, there's going to be a huge... Thing. There was a little wedding a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago. I, I. <laughs> but like when you when you look at dignitaries and the way that people prepare for them and the entrances that they make, and you contrast it with Jesus's entrance, the Creator of the world, how did, how did he enter the world? There's no room for you in a hotel. In the place where the animals sleep and go to the bathroom you look at his life as a as this blue collar poor nothing nobody kind of guy his death out with criminals on the outskirts of town like like there's no po- more polarization of humility so when we look at these passages like verse 5 in particular have this attitude in yourself it's really easy to say ah but you know what i'm pretty special and I don't know if I can say sorry to my wife, or I don't know if I can say sorry to my sibling, or I don't know if I can humble myself in that way because I'm pretty spectacular. Paul says, look at who Jesus was and what did he do. Like the, You're never going to equal or be greater than what he did in his example. And so when we look at this instruction... To humble ourselves, to count others as greater than ourselves. It's all driven from the person who has received salvation. That Jesus did all of this for you and your sin. The same, that you are bought at a price. And so while it's a free gift that you receive, like the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And what he's asking is, he's like, I want you to follow my example. And you're not going to find a more humble example. So the whole application of this. Like I, the question keeps coming up, like, when was the last time I changed my course in order to follow Christ's example? Like, if you could just think about the humility of Christ. We're going to take communion today. We're going to hold a little cracker and a little juice, and it's symbolic of the shame that he went through. Like This is our example. How are you humbling yourself and placing others first in your relationships with your coworkers, your siblings, your marriages? Merging at the bottom of the grade? (laughs) If we really want to step on people's toes, (laughs) like... And I said I didn't want to get lost in the weeds, but I do. I do want to make a few, points, uh, two points, maybe one point, maybe one point. Um, on the kenosis of Christ, this 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 Christ emptying himself. The, the, this is huge because it's 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 dealing with things that we grapple with in, in our um, our minds that are finite. We we can't grasp. These great theological truths that the, the hypostatic union of of Jesus, that he's fully God and fully man, like like we're never going to fully grasp that <clears throat> it, and so what is emptying him like what does this mean to, to empty himself? Uh, it's easy to go down a path that says, well, Jesus wasn't actually God, he was fully man well well while he was on earth. And that's not the case. Um, he was both. Um, Charles Swindoll writes this. I thought it was really good. He says, Thus, when Philippians 2.7 says, Christ emptied himself, it doesn't mean he gave up his deity or his divine attributes. It means he veiled them. Jesus had the authority of his divinity, but he voluntarily chose not to use it in submission to the plan and purpose of the Father. So he had the capacity but he withheld the capacity. I, I think I think it was Peter that he was talking to at one point, where Peter was going to save the day, and Jesus looks at me. Don't you think I can send down so many legions of angels to come just wipe out everybody? Like, don't you? Th- I, Jesus saying, I have that capacity, but I've, but but I've, I've sort of veiled it uh, to, to bring it down to terms that we know. A few weeks ago, maybe months ago, now at this point, I on my cell phone, which is now like a mini computer to try to, like, get my, like, di- like I kind of was trying to divorce myself from my cell phone, but not fully. Like, I kind of want to, like, I longed for the days of MacGyver when there was no cell phones or anything, and you just kind of. And so what I did was I deleted the email capacity on my phone. <clears throat> I've since re- reinstalled it. I broke down, but, I, <laughs> I, but, I, but only for the trip to Japan. I might re- take it off again. Um, and then Facebook, I took off these things on my cell phone and so i have a smartphone it's totally capable of email and just because i've uninstalled the app for mail doesn't mean that the phone doesn't have the ability to do it it just means that i've turned off by choice this capacity to do it and it's a terrible illustration but it's sort of like what jesus did like he is fully god but he he's like i'm going to turn off that capacity i'm going to turn off that capacity and i'm going to subject myself because if you're deity you can't unbe deity. You can't, like, if you can unbe deity, then you're, your deity is God. And so, if you, um, if you ever stop being God, then you're not God. Like, God, is, God always existed and exists and will forever exist. <clears throat> and so, somehow, in the midst of this, he humbles himself, he veils his deity, and that's this kenosis. Um, He humbled himself in obedience, which is the key to this whole passage. The guy who's writing this, the Apostle Paul, did the same thing. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to see, like, let me just just flip over to Philippians 3. Who's this Paul guy? And he says, well, Philippians 3, verse 2, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ and... Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And at that point, the confidence in the flesh, Paul's like, I need to take a time out. Let me just tell you guys who I was before Christ. <clears throat> he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is found in the law, blameless. Don't let that... Well, Paul would look at you with a clear conscience and meaning 100% and he'd say the whole Old Testament and all the laws that all of the scribes and Pharisees and all of these guys came up with of how, to, how it works out in your life, I was blameless, I was without fault, I was perfect. But then he met Jesus and he realized how imperfect he was. And he says, whatever these things were gained to me, I have counted them as lost for sake of Christ. Like he says, they're rubbish, they're dung. Like, like it, we, In all translations, it has to edit out what the word actually is. It says, it's manure, it's garbage. And then he lived his life from this guy who had everything to this guy that would ultimately give his life for the sake of the gospel, who lost everything. But he says to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That stuff is unimportant. It's it's worthless at the end of the day. And then going back to Philippians chapter 2, I, <clears throat> I halfway want to pick up these verses next week, but for brevity's sake. I, I want, I'm not for brevity's sake. I, I, I don't want to water down the the push in this passage for humility and, and why we are commanded to be humble and why we're to, com, co, like, to view others as more important than ourselves. But from this, we're told, verse nine, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So the point number one that I want us to to be reminded of is that Jesus isn't dead. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father where he rightly belongs. And we see the exclusivity of Christ. Uh, In my flesh, I struggle with this, right? I, I think we all do, or we all have, should have. Like, It's just from a human perspective, it seems like you, there should be a lot of different ways to get to heaven. Like, who am I to tell my Buddhist siblings that their way is wrong? Who am I to tell that my atheist uh, family members, who when anybody dies says, oh, they're in a better place, who am I to say that? but I'm not God. The reality is I've just learned to be thankful that God provided a way, which happens to be the way, and it was Jesus in John 14, 6 who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It, it's, it's the scriptures that point to God's plan that there, that there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Christ. And he says that in this passage, that at the end of all of our lives, we're all going to give an account. Well, if you're an unbeliever today, the push for you is to recognize who Jesus is and to surrender your life to him, to say, I I receive this gift. Now, to those of us who receive, the push for us is recognize at the end of your life, you're going to stand before God and you're gonna have a PowerPoint presentation in your life for lack of better, like in my human understanding, there's gonna be a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> on how well did I do with the things that he gave me to do? Like, okay, I gave you all of this. Now the encouraging news is he's already paid for all my sins, so I'm not gonna to have to look at those up. So maybe I'll have a one-point slide, like, hey, you did this really well. Good job, my, my good and faithful servant. But we're gonna give an account. We're gonna bow down and worship him as Lord. And this should really affect how we live our lives today. It should affect how we interact with one another. It should, it, it, it should change our marriages. It should change how we interact with our coworkers. It should change how we interact with our neighbors. It should change how we interact with our siblings. It should change with how we merge lanes at the bottom of the grade. Like, like seriously, it's, not, it's funny, like we all laugh, about, but it should affect how we drive. Because every person that's cutting you off, that's a person who needs Jesus. And you realize how desperate you are for him because how powerful your own flesh is. And so with this, we're going to take communion. And I, the guys are going to come forward. We're gonna, um, I, I would encourage you as the elements go out, just hold the cracker and the juice. I always—we All the crackers are gluten-free for those of you that that's an issue for. Um, get your element. Hold on to it. And we'll pick up after it, it, it goes forth. This last Monday was um, Memorial Day. And um, it, it always causes me, me to reflect on like buddies I've lost and, and uh, students that I put through training. Um, oh, Dave's still coming, sorry. I thought there was one more train, but I didn't see a person. Um, so in my time of, of being an instructor and all the students that I put through, there were, I think, three or four, three or four of those students that I um, interacted with that ended up receiving the Medal of Honor, and of those, there's one that really impacted me, um, and and this student, his name was Michael Munster, who some of you are probably familiar with his name. He um, he, he literally, of all of the people I've known in my entire life, he's the person who's done the most self-sacrificing um, action that I've ever known anybody to do. Um, and on an operation where uh, another of my couple of close friends were on this operation, a hand grenade came up and over the rooftop, and Michael Munzer saw it, and he literally... Threw himself on the hand grenade and absorbed the blow, um, and he sa- he he saved the lives of a couple of my good friends. And and I remember when I got word of this. Before he was like a now, now he's become like a you know like one of the, a spam like an email that people forward on to other people, but but Mansour was a student, and it was. I, I remember going, hey, could could I do that? Like, when I was a team, like, would my reaction be, like, if I was on an op and a hand grenade came in, would my reaction be to jump on it to save my buddies? And, and I, yeah. You know, of course the answer is, like, oh, I'd love to say yeah, but I don't know. Like, I, and to see the, the three other guys that were involved, how it impacted their lives. Like, their, their whole lives they live for Mike because they owe their life to Mike. And this Monday, you know, we normally go to Rosecrans to visit his his gravesite. Um, but when I, I bring this up, because what he did in that moment for those three guys was was nothing, compared to what Christ did for us, and that's what we hold in our hands. Um, I don't. Um, th- this is the picture of Christianity. Um, it's something for those who have given their life to Christ. And so if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, it's, it's as simple as believing. Um, but we're reminded that we were, we were bought at a price, that your salvation, your true and ultimate freedom was purchased by God's death on the cross. In Philippians one twenty seven, which we covered last week, I think, he says, Only conduct yourself, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? You're you're holding a symbol of it. This the symbol is that Jesus stepped out of heaven and he became man, a bond servant, that he lived his life perfectly, and that he was put to death, death on a cross. And so we take this to, remind, to remember his broken body. We, remember, we take the Jews to remember the eternal covenant that we now have in Christ. That we, um, that as Hebrews talks about, like we're not going and making, we're not, we're not continually having to go to the temple to, to re-clean and to reclean and to re-clean. That we're, we're told that it was once and for all that down in the deepest level, and you know Valley Center, a couple like last week. I hate to bring this up, but but the whole idea, like I, I got my septic tank pumped. And it's a terrible thing, but I like want to watch the whole thing to see the inside of the tank because it's like the bowels of the house, and 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 I was sitting there as the guy's pumping the tank, going, "Man, that's just a rough job." And I think. It's, it's clean, but it's not really clean. We're going to just have to do this in three more years or four years or however often you're supposed to do it. And it's like, that's the picture of the temple. Like, they would go and they make a sacrifice. And as soon as they walked away from the sacrifice, they began to have sin, and it wasn't really clean. Now, I don't know how to complete the illustration, but it's like what he did on the cross for us, it's permanent cleanness. To the the deepest level, you don't have to keep going back to to be re-cleansed of your sin. I'm arguing with myself in that statement. You don't have to go back to get your salvation over and over again. He continually cleanses us in our imperfection, and we stand secure before him. When I look at this, I think of Matthew 18 when the disciples said, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? And he says, you want to be great? Be like this kid. In fact, when this was inaugurated, the night of his uh, the Lord's Supper, this, this last Passover meal, how did it start? It started with they went into the upper room and there were no servants there because clearly they wanted a room of privacy. But with no servant, there was nobody there to wash the feet, the most humble, disgusting job that was reserved for the lowest of low. And as all the disciples walked in, None of them wanted to volunteer to, to wash the other people's feet, and so they sat there. And Jesus kind of looks at them, and he says, it's been three years, really, guys? And he gets up, he takes off his garments, and he, he puts a towel around his waist. He goes and gets the supplies, and he goes through, and he cleanses each one of their feet. And Peter has a big put, po- No, no, Lord, not me. Okay, well, if you're going to do it, we will do the whole thing. And Jesus like, no, 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 no. Peter, humble yourself. And he says, this is the example. The new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. So when we come to communion, we reflect on these things and we're saying, Lord, I want to be like you and I need a whole lot of help. Help me to be a servant like you. Help me to consider others greater than myself. So Father, we come to you keenly aware of our sinfulness. Father, we thank you that through the cross we are cleansed. There are assurances that once you're saved, you're saved. We're told through Hebrews that the sacrifice of Christ was different. That it's not just external, it cleanses to the innermost conscience. And so, Father, we thank you that you have paid it all for us. Father, in this section we're commanded to walk worthy of the gospel and that's an overwhelming thought. So as we take communion today, we ask that you would help us to to lead our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to view others as more important than ourselves. Help Help us to truly follow your lead. And we do this by abiding in you. We do this by allowing your spirit to guide us and direct us. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you continue to work in us even though we stumble over and over and over again. We thank you that your grace abounds in our lives. We love you, Father. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.